good morning. Well, by the providence of God, I'm back. If you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we'll be continuing today in our little series on the local church. So we've looked at a desperate commitment to the local church. Last week, we looked at the moral standard of the local church. And this week, we'll be looking at the generosity, the generous heart of the local church. So if you'll bow with me, let's open in the word of prayer. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father, Father, we may be small, but those who have been appointed to hear this message today are here. Father, you have said as the rain comes down and snow from heaven and waters the earth, gives bread and food, things produce. You said, so my word goes out of my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. Father, those who need to hear this word are in this room, including myself. I pray, Father, that it might come with power. Often I fear, I know myself, we'll hear sermons as if they are Christian entertainment, and we'll judge them, we'll say, that was a good sermon, that was a powerful sermon. Well, that wasn't the best sermon. But Father, this is not Christian entertainment. May it not just come in power to our ears, but power to our, to our hearts. May no one walk out of here unaffected by this sermon, unsanctified by this sermon. May we walk out of this room looking more like Christ. May the unconverted walk out having received the generous gift of God. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. And would you help me now? In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one 
as anyone has need. So here we see a model of generosity in the local, in the early local church. You know, we see in verse 32, it says that no one considered anything to be his own, but he had all things in common. You know, sometimes that raises questions. We're like, is this Christian communism or socialism? Well, not at all. This isn't where everyone owns everything. These are people who own something and they see their brother, see their sister in need, and out of love, their generosity is aroused. And therefore, they say, you know what? My brother's need is more important than my house. My brother's need is more important than this or that. As John says, if anyone has this world's goods and he sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, says, how does the love of God abide in him? Generosity is a great evidence of a transformed heart. In verse uh, 34 here, we see, there was none among them who lacked. All who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. You know, often we might get in the trap of thinking, you know, well, I go to church, you know, I bring my offering, I put it in the box, you know, yeah, so the church can pay their bills, pay the minister. But that's not the heart that the Lord is commanding here. See, he wants us to bring, generously bring what he has provided from what he has provided us. Not just so the church can pay its bills or pay its ministers, but that the church can meet the needs of others. So that is why the Lord requires a generous heart. Because through the generous hearts of his people is how he meets the needs of his people. Now with that being said, I would like to talk about five truths of generosity today. So if you will, turn with me over to 2 Corinthians, a few books to your right, 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 8. We're not going to necessarily look at every single verse, but kind of just to give a 30,000 foot overview of generosity. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That is an amazing statement. Just think about that. It says, the great trial of affliction. They're probably going through persecution. They're greatly afflicted, but 
How do they respond in the midst of their afflictions? Says the abundance of their joy. So they're rejoicing, and not only rejoicing, but abundantly rejoicing in the midst of this great trial. In the midst of this affliction, they're abundantly rejoicing, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or their generosity. I know that's not my thing. It should be my heart. It should be the heart of each and every one of us. But how can they respond this way? I mean, are, are these some super Christians or can we respond this way? Well, let's keep going. Verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So how could they respond like this? Grace. We see it twice here. It's a grace. It's not something that they produce. They didn't wake up and say, hmm, I'm going through great trial, great affliction. I could lose my life at any second. I'm greatly in poverty, greatly in need. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to rejoice in my generosity. They didn't just wake up and decide that one day. This is the grace of God at work in them. And the same grace that was at work in them should be at work in us. So as we look at scripture, we shouldn't bring it up to today. We should go back to the scriptures. Why am I not like that? I have to ask myself, why am I not like this? It's the grace of God. Meaning, as all grace, it comes from God. It's a gift from God. So we must call upon him for that. We are fully dependent on God to give us this heart because naturally, that is not your heart. When you're in trial, when you're in affliction, when you're in poverty, you're not going to rejoice. You're definitely not going to give anything. But God can give you that heart. So that's the first truth we see here about generosity. Is that generosity is a grace of God. And secondly, generosity is a reflection of Christ. Look at verse 8 and 9. I speak not by commandment. But I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For as you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. 
generosity reflects the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us, he says, he was in the very form of God. In Isaiah 6, we see the scene in heaven. You know, Isaiah is there. He says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above his head stood seraphim, each having six wings, with two covering their face, two covering their feet, two flying, one crying to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the voice of him who cried out, the foundation of the threshold shook. And in John chapter 12, he tells us, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. He was richer than any of us can ever imagine. In the very form of God. Yet, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He wasn't in heaven. No, I'm God. I'm staying here. I deserve this. But no, he said he didn't count equality with God. Something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He laid aside his heavenly privileges and prerogatives. He emptied himself of all of that. Not his deity. He was still 100% God. But he emptied himself of all his heavenly privileges. And it says he came as a slave. And was found in appearance of a man. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself. It was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was rich and he became poor. That you, that me, that all of us who believe in him, who has forsaken all to take hold of Christ, to receive the generous gift from God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. You know, Christian, I don't know what your financial position is in this room today. But the richest unbeliever in this world, you take all of the billionaires of this world who are unbelievers, and you put them all together and you multiply that 10,000 times. And they don't have a penny compared to what you have. You know, in the Song of Solomon, she says, I am my beloved's. My beloved is mine. We have Christ. We could not be richer. Doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. You have become rich. And we are told that we are made a kingdom of priests to God the Father because of Christ who became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. So when we are generous, we reflect Jesus Christ. As we'll see later on, Lord willing, that this is obedience to our confession of the gospel of Christ. And how so? Because 
It's a living out a demonstration of Christ. It's almost like a parable of what Christ has done. Do you want to reflect Christ? Aren't we supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ? Generosity reflects Christ. And next, generosity is a means to equality. Verse 10, he says, And in this I give advice. It is not, <clears throat> excuse me, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but in equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. That last verse there is quoted from Exodus chapter 16. And this is when the children of Israel, they were complaining. But God, out of his grace, his generosity, gave them manna. So they were told to go out and gather manna according to the number that was in their household. And after they gathered the manna, they were told to come bring it to Moses and he would measure it out to make sure everyone got an equal portion that he who gathered much, the one who goes out there, maybe he's younger, he's more in shape and he goes out there and gathers a whole lot of manna. So he brings his manna, he measures it out and the elderly, that are slow, and they can't quite get that much. What, are they at a loss? Because they aren't young and quick? No. God desires for his people for there to be an equality. Now, this is not saying, you know, well, if this Christian's rich, and this one's not, okay, there's an inequality, there, there's a problem. That's not what this is saying. He's saying there should be an equal sharing of the burden. Remember here, he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but an equality. So he's saying here that the burden should not just be all on one. But at one time, the person with um, a lot of excess may be able to give and meet the need of another. At another time, he may be in need. So the Lord has uh, ordained this for an equality, meeting the needs of his people. So as we are generous, we are actually the hands and feet of God, if you will towards one another. 
Because this is what he desires for his people. As David says in the psalm, he says, I've been young, I've been old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Why? Because the Lord, when we are generous, when we have generous hearts living according to his word, our needs are met by one another. But next, we see that generosity is a proof of love. So in verse 16, he says, But thanks be the God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him with the brothers whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we often prove diligent in many things, but how much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about us, Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches to the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Now, of course, a lot can be said about the, those verses. Okay, but I just want to point out that last verse. He's saying, show to the churches. The proof of your love. The proof of your love. How do we know? Is there any evidence that we love one another? Do we just say, hey, love you, brother? That's good. But what does John say? As I quoted earlier, he says, By this we know love. Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for each other. Then gives us an example. If anyone has this world's good, sees his brother in need, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It says, my children, let us love not in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. By this we know we are of the truth. And we assure our hearts before him. How do we know we're of the truth? How do we know our love is true? What is the proof of our love? Well, generosity is not the only proof, but it is a proof of our love towards one another. We aren't just to love each other in word and in tongue. Yes, that's good. We should do that. But... Do we love one another in deed and truth generously? Because again, what's the generosity of God? How did he prove his love? For God so loved the world that he gave. It's generous. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
And Romans were told that for a righteous man, when I dare to die, and for a good man, when I die, but God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the proof of God's love, and it is a proof of our love. And like John says, by this you know you have passed from death to life when you love one another. It's like you wouldn't know if you're a Christian. Where's your love? Where's the proof of your love? May God grant us to approve our love. Not as though we're trying to earn something, but out of a generous heart. Thankful for the generous gift that's been given to us the Lord Jesus Christ, who has changed our heart and the grace of God has worked this in us. Next, finally, I would like to look at how generosity abounds to the glory of God, or to put it in a different way. When we are generous, God is glorified. So chapter 9 says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is super, superflu superfluous. In other words, there's no real reason. There's no real reason for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast to you, to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stored up the, stored up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. You see twice there, generous, generosity. This is what God requires. Verse six, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now this verse and the following has been ripped out of context by many. They say, oh, you know, okay, I'm going to give more, and God's going to give me more. That's how they want to look at it. When in reality, they, they don't have a generous heart. That God wants generosity. God doesn't want you to give so you can get something. Now, there is a return. Lord willing, we'll see that in a minute. But it's not for you. It's not for me. Yes, we may be able to enjoy some of it. There's nothing wrong with that. God richly gives us all things to enjoy. But there's a higher purpose. But let's see how Paul works this out. So he says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
a cheerful giver. Again, Christ. He, he didn't grudgingly come out of heaven and say, Father, well, if I must set this aside and go and save these miserable little vessels of dust, I guess you want me to, so that wasn't his attitude. Wasn't his attitude at all. In John chapter 10, he tells us, it says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own. Yeah. Amen. I have the power to lay it down, the power to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. Yes, it was a command from the Father. But it wasn't, he, he didn't go stumping out of heaven. Say, man, I real, I've really enjoyed my time here. Why do I have to go to this cursed world? I deserve better than this, but I'll do the will of my Father. That, that wasn't his attitude. Yes, it was a command, but he laid down his life of his own accord. He joyfully laid down his life for a sheep. <laughs> he is the good shepherd. And we are to model that. God loves a cheerful giver. And verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I don't think you can have more superlatives in one verse than we have there. All grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Yes, there is a truth, as we said, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. But what is it for? For every good work. It isn't for you to go and buy a Lexus. It isn't for you to waste on yourself. Oh, God's been good. No, no, no. For every good work. Yes, God will give you a return on your investment, so to speak. But it's not for you to go and spend on yourself. It's for every good work. Now, what are those good works? Well, let's keep going. Verse 9. He is, uh, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad, is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So righteousness is in that good works. Now, verse 10, now may he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything, listen, for all liberality or generosity. So when we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully, so that in righteousness, we may sow more. We may be more generous. 
God wants a generous people. And when he finds a heart that is generous, he's like, that's why I'm putting my money. Because I know I can trust him as a steward to use that money. And he's going to use it for kingdom purpose. You know, in Luke 16, there's a parable. And there's this steward that's wasting his master's money. And his master says, okay, you can no longer be steward. So the steward says, what shall I do? Huh, I, I don't want to beg. I, I, don't, mm, I know what I'll do. So he renegotiates wickedly, by the way. He re renegotiates all of those who owe his master so that he can have a place to go. He can have an earthly dwelling. And Jesus says, you see what he did? How come my people can't be wise enough to use their resources for an eternal dwelling, for eternal pur purposes. See, we as stewards are to use our master's money for eternal purposes. And when God finds a heart that is generous like his son, then he says, that's where I'm putting my money. Because I know he's going to use it for my kingdom. And like I said, generosity abounds to the glory of God. When we are generous, God is glorified. How is he glorified? Let's keep going. So verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So when God gives us money to steward, and we are generous, he is glorified. Because thanksgiving abounds to him. Verse 12, For the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings again to God. So it says, it causes thanksgivings to go to God. It supplies the needs of the saints. And it's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, while through this proof of the ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, for your liberal sharing with them and all men, by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here we have the end, if you will, of generosity. What generosity is ultimately to lead to. And it's the glory of God. God is glorified when we are generous. If there is no other motivation for us to be generous, this should be enough. Do we not long to glorify God? Do we not long for thanksgivings to abound to him? It abounds to him. When we are generous, when we demonstrate the heart of Christ, who became poor, that through his poverty, we might become rich. <laughs> And as we see in verse 15, Paul is thanking God for this indescribable gift of the Macedonian churches who are generous. 
But how much more shall we thank God for his indescribable gift of generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ? So, my prayer is that the Lord would just use these scriptures we looked at today to make us more like Christ, to make us generous, to glorify God, to prove our love toward one another. And as I close, I'd like to turn one more place. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, and Matthew 25, there's three parables. They are all talking about the return of Christ, being ready for that, being wise, being good stewards. But this last parable starts in verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and his holy angels with him, then he will sit in the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from, or a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now, just notice real quick, sheep and goats, there isn't a huge distinction. He doesn't say the sheep and the wolves. He doesn't say the sheep and the beast. He says sheep and goats. So, there's one small difference between the two. What is that? Verse 33, he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. The king will say to those at his right hand, come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. When we are generous, to our brethren, we're generous to Christ. You know, if Jesus Christ was to come and we knew this was Jesus Christ, let, let me just ask you, because I had to ask myself, you know that's Jesus Christ and he's in need. What would you, would you not be like the early church? Would you not be willing to sell anything to provide for him? To be show generosity to, towards him? You probably just do it for no reason, even if he wasn't in need. Just to show your love like Mary, anointing his feet with oil. But how come when we look at one another, we don't think like that? We don't think like, I'm doing this to Christ. But that's not how Christ sees it. Remember on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No, 
Why are you persecuting me? So, what's the difference in the sheep and the goats? Well, let's keep going. <clears throat> Verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one the least of my <clears throat> least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. So what is the difference between the sheep and the goats? Is it that the sheep, I mean, he said the righteous. So the goats, they must be the murderers and the rapists, right? No. Simply, they weren't generous. And didn't have generous hearts. What they were were it was made manifest because they weren't generous. Let us be generous to Christ. Is that not enough motivation to be generous to your brother? When we bring from what the Lord has given us and we, we bring it, we put it in the box, and we are generous. It's not just for the sake of the church so it can keep going on, paying its bills. No, but it is for generosity that we can be generous to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is generous to us. And for those of you who have not received the generous gift, of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his generosity that we become generous. And when we spurn his generosity, we remain in the state of these goats. And as we see here, these will go away into everlasting punishment. That's hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can be of the righteous and go into eternal life. You can receive the generous gift of God. Jesus Christ, who was rich and became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. You can receive the generous gift of God and be transformed and have a generous heart. And like... Jesus says, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Make for yourself money bags in heaven that do not grow old. You wonder how to get treasures in heaven? One way is through our generosity. But that generous heart, it starts with receiving the generous offer of the Lord Jesus Christ that was given for us. And my prayer 
is that you would receive his generous gift and that all of us would model the generosity of Christ and prove our love towards one another. And there would be an equality and God would be glorified in our generosity. Father God, I just thank you for your word. Father God, Father, my desire is for not one person in here to walk out of this place as though they've just heard another message. But let us walk out of here with transformed hearts. Transformed hearts that reflect the generosity of Christ. Transformed hearts that are generous, not just for the sake of generosity, but for the sake of glorifying God, for the sake of being generous to Christ himself. Father, your word says that even a cup of cold water given to one of your people will not lose its reward. Let us store, store up treasures in heaven where moth and dust do not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal, O oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our church, if you guys would like to stand as we...